Welcome to Better Cast Saul, the officially unofficial podcast for Better Call Saul on AMC. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 2, Episode 2, titled Cobbler. Uh, I think you probably guess why it's titled Cobbler. Yeah, it's all yeah. about, you know, fashioning leather, common mm-hmm. shoe material yep. into cars, and as you metaphoric cobblering, sure. as, as you work the leather into the seats, whether it be crocodile or something more traditional. I don't think I don't think there are car seat cobblers. Uh, I think it's, well, no, it's a metaphor. It's a cobbler's okay. work of leather, shoe leather, gum shoe. Uh huh. Mike's or, a private eye, you former know, cop. Bar- the connections are obvious. I think barely cobbling together a story, uh, as Vince Gilligan so often does, just skirts the edge of whether or not he's got a good or bad story here. I'm sure, pretty, totally not 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 serious. Uh, this is a great episode. I I loved it. Uh, I thought it was funny. I thought it was touching. I thought it was, you know, character-driven the way that yeah. I like this stuff to be. So, real good. I, I changed up my process this week. What, how so? So, I watched the episode, and then I listened to the Breaking Bad Insider. Yeah, yeah. And then I wa- and Then I did my the, my notes and research afterwards. Okay. And I feel like that it might have... Uh, like gotten kind of all the obvious stuff away out of the way, and I got a little bit weird with my observations this week. <laughs> I think that's fitting. I'm just saying. Do you have a patron I backing didn't... your observations? Is that what's going on? <laughs> no, Fetish man. observations? No, 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 no. There's no. There's no. Uh, well, maybe there should be shame, but there's not. There's 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 no baseboard. I'm hiding them away. I just. Okay. Uh, I I just. It's kind of weird. All right, know, maybe it's not. Well, we'll see where that takes us. I'm gonna call him. The, it's like you know, I've got some some ponderings to mm-hmm. propound to you. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> well, let's. I know how off. much you love getting ambushed out of left field. Well, I I feel like I have a real good handle on this show. So unless they're just the ramblings of a madman, <laughs> I which they may be, then I should be okay. Do I look like a man with half a face? Do I look like a man with half a face? <laughs> Uh, let's start off with the recap. Okay. We, we get Chuck, we get the cold open with Chuck at home playing the piano. We oh, can't... wait. Can we talk about oh, an obvious miss we had last uh, podcast on yeah. the artwork? Right, right. in uh-huh. Jimmy's office. I, you, I'm not sure if you actually said it. I don't remember you did, but someone pointed out that the obvious thing was that it's a slipping Jimmy reference. Right. It's literally a man, like, the international caution, you're going to slip symbol. Yeah. In, in a very high flute and artistic way. Right. And that shows up again this episode. So, so there you go. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so Chuck's at home playing piano. He can't quite quite get the piece right. After a couple tries, Howard shows up uh, with his daily supplies, and he, Chuck mentions, hey, you know, I've been thinking about coming in a couple hours a week. And they discuss the case and kind of what Jimmy's up to, uh, whether or not anybody's seen him. And Howard says, you know what? Yeah, I've seen Jimmy. He's working at Davis and Maine. He's on the partner track, I assume, uh, Chuck's doesn't seem too happy about that. Not thrilled. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I, the, the, it feels like there's a lot of complicated emotion within Chuck, right? Yes. Like, there's there's both the like, this is kind of the response I should have as a loving brother is to be happy for Chuck, mm-hmm. but you can also see on his face he's not entirely happy. He's he's kind of a little bit ashamed that he's not the one giving his brother a chance where Cliff is at Davis and Maine. Uh, he's also a little wary that this might be another slip and Jimmy thing, uh, that maybe Jimmy's going to mess this whole thing up. I, 
there's so much complicated emotion, and Michael McKean does an amazing job just portraying all of that without hardly without saying a word. And he's actually playing the piano on camera. He the, is, but that's not him. The soundtrack his was sound, laid yeah. down by by Dave Porter, right? Uh, the composer of the show. Yeah, but, he but played he the piece. Fizzled, yeah, right. I, um, if you don't know, Michael uh, McKean and Ed Begley Jr. both appeared in Spinal Tap, and I guess they're both uh-huh. reasonably accomplished musicians. Yeah, uh, you know, I'd say hobbyist musicians, right? Sure. It's not their profession, but yeah, like you know, they're but but they can you know they're not they're not just completely making shit up there. Yeah, and I always like to see that when they at least have an idea of where their hand should be. <laughs> so I know you listened to at least a good portion of the Insider podcast. I, I got about halfway through it. Yeah, were you were you surprised? How did you feel about how forthcoming the production staff was on the mental state of Chuck? I was a little taken aback. They do talk about stuff that I would assume they would want to save for later. Or just let the audience kind of breathe, you know, just just kind of let it right. them figure it out themselves. Because I got, you know, I got a lot of what I would say insight, mm-hmm. but I was kind of bummed out that the insight I got was from what you know doesn't feel earned. It yeah, just feels... Vince, it's like here's uh, here's what it means, dumb dumb. <laughs> um, I mean, I got all the sum of it. The fact that like I I got this real like terrible beating of the telltale heart from this metronome, like it's the telltale asshole. Uh, okay. and, and also when he's laying awake at night and you hear the tick tock, tick tock of his mm-hmm. clock, it's like this, the fact that he's betrayed his brother is clearly weighing on him. And yet you can see the duality of him because right. when, uh, Harry shows up and tries to pass, not passive aggressively, but he really tries to walk that line between telling, Ch- yeah, telling Chuck the truth mm-hmm. and, not incurring Chuck's wrath because I, I'm getting that like right. Chuck is kind of a maybe that Harry is kind of afraid of him. Howard, Howard, Howard I'm sorry, Hammer. not Howard. Yeah. Uh, I, I always think of him like Harry, unwashed asshole. Howard <laughs> doesn't seem to go that well. Okay. Uh, anyway, what do you think of that? It's like, yeah, no, it's uh, it's something I was definitely feeling, but they put words to it, and I'm not certain that. I don't know. I mean, if you don't want those insights, don't listen. Uh, but now we're cramming them down your throat. Right. I thought that because the one, it's fine. That's what they're there for. Sure. sure. I mean, at one point that is, I think it is kind of obvious is that if you think about however long that they've had this weird living relationship, a few years, a year and a half, two years, um, Jim, you know, it doesn't seem like Chuck entertains a lot of people. No. So, while Chuck did want to dissuade him from being, you know, besmirching his part, his his uh, law practice, um, he didn't want Jimmy to go off in a tear and never see him again. Right, right. I mean, there's still he wants still brothers. There's still affection there. It's just yeah. he wants that one, but he wants that one up position on him. He does. He does. And and. But there's also like a desire to see him not be slipping Jimmy and and do the right thing and be a better person. Like so much of it is confused within even Chuck's own head. I love the performances here because they tell so much about the characters. Um, the fact that Chuck is uncomfortable about someone finding out that he's playing music. Yeah, like almost like a sh- that's a shameful thing. Or, or like, 
Yeah, I was trying to figure out exactly why I thought he was... He just dismissed that. It was... It seems to me like maybe he doesn't want people thinking that he's doing as well as he is. Maybe he wants a little more sympathy still. Yeah, there. Uh, that's definitely a theory that I was having to... Maybe it's not, like, calculated, but it's it's in there. But also the fact that, you know, he has this power of his law firm. Like, he... He comes back after however many years, and everyone turns off the lights, cuts the power, sequesters their cell phones, and gives him uh-huh. a shattering round of applause. Like this is a this is Zeus visiting Olympus, and I feel like that this is like oh god, they might think I'm human as well. Okay, there's that touch. Sure. Do you see the name on the uh, sheet music? I'm I sure didn't. everybody did. No, I didn't. Uh, they talk about it briefly in the podcast. They, it's Rebecca. Oh, uh, yes. I don't know how to say this. B O I S. It's not anyone that we know of yet, but Jennifer Hutchison, who is the writer mm-hmm. of this episode, said it's her great grandmother's maiden name. Yeah, I, rem- I remember her saying th- that as well. And then Vince Gilligan says something about, oh, maybe we'll find, maybe we'll hear <laughs> a little bit more about that later. But you actually, you, I thought that's Vince just being funny. You actually thought that was the way the way the that, that Chuck runs his finger over the name says there's some sentimentality there to me. Um, I think this is someone who was huh. close to him at some point. Okay, okay, uh, and I think we will see. I, I think Villigan is not being a villain when he says that. What do you think of Howard being so subservient? Like, hey, hmm. we'd love for you to come back, but. You know, no pressure. I mean, he's just playing this, you know, I'm putting pressure on you, but I don't want you to feel like I'm putting pressure. Yeah, I guess. I I, I never know how to read that guy. He's kind of stone-faced most of the time. Do you get Do you get the idea that the firm may be in some kind of low-key trouble? Oh, no. Why? Okay, this is where you're spinning off the rails, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, maybe. You got a little too in your own head about it. Could be. But, but, but Why hear do you me say out. that? Hear okay. me out. Uh, Jimmy always says, my brother made this firm. You know, everything you are, you owe to my brother. Uh-huh. And we also know every time Chuck shows up in even lawyers that are posing, they just like, oh, you're a fucking, you're a rock star. You yeah. know? Um, and I don't know that Hamlin himself is a great attorney. Like, I, and I, I want to, I'm going to get... Off in the weeds a little bit later, I'm going to talk about how there's like these three archetypes of lawyers, I guess, re- represented or, uh, mm, okay. uh, in these people. Um, but think about if he's been away for two years and there's rumors in the community that maybe he's gone crazy, he's lost her mind, this is the anchor partner, this is the genius, this is the rock star, that affects the firm's prestige, they have all these heads, you know, all these mouths they're trying to feed. I'm not saying they're like on the brink of collapse, but imagine yeah, yeah. if like... Yeah, you know, something we were excited about this month. This is the first. This is the one year anniversary of Club Bald Move. Mm-hmm. We had an idea of like, okay, well, a bunch of people signed up for yearly memberships. The first month, it's like, what's going to happen? Like, oh my god! It's like, what if only half the people sign up again? Or what if not even that? It's like, if that right, had actually right. happened, it's not like Bald Move had collapsed, but suddenly we're concerned. Oh, we're always concerned. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I'm saying, like, you know, it's like it's one of those things like, oh, your growth is like maybe yeah, the yeah. growth has stopped or maybe they've even had a decline or a few key clients have left them. May- I mean, we did see the Kettleman's leave them. That's well, for sure. And also bring- that's a pretty big case. Yeah. I, I just I just wonder if the fur again, it's not in trouble, but Howard's worried that this if the, he can't get him back and stabilize that this is going to be. Well, we know 100% that that's the case, right? Like, yeah. the whole plot of season one was, can Jimmy get Chuck to 
to say, hey, I want to dissolve this company and I want to get paid out here. Right. Uh, so I well, think that's... that's why Howard is deferring to him and Howard oh. is like coddling him because if Chuck decides to pull that switch, to flip that switch. Well, that's uh, yeah, obviously done. that would destroy it. But I'm talking yeah. about he needs he needs Chuck back as a figurehead. He needs, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean that's that's who people know. I don't see anybody going around saying, "Oh, Howard, you're you're great." Yeah. Okay. We love your work. What do you think about the emphasis he put on Kim Wexler pushing for this hard? That was surprising to me. I don't. Is this? Something... I don't know why he would mention that to well, Chuck because Chuck doesn't. Does I think he even really know Kim all that well. I thought he made some kind of, I mean, you've seen it more recently than I, but I thought he made some kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah Plucky Kim, up-and-comer Kim kind of uh, reference Maybe. to her last season. Maybe. Um, but I'm going to assume he knows because it seemed like it was significant to them. But I, I think that Howard's motivation was that he's trying to put a layer of, uh, you know, I try, I gave him the full picture, but I didn't stand in your way. I didn't think you, and did you want me right. to stand in the way, Chuck? And Chuck's like, oh, no, but yeah, yeah kind of. I didn't do this. Where but. then it's like, so he knows, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of cringing in front of Chuck. I'll throw Kim Wexler as a barrier of like, uh, you know, she's, you know, if you really yeah. want to blame someone for why he's got the job, it's that fucking Kim Wexler. And I wonder if this is some foreshadowing that she's going to get tossed over. I, I think there's a lot of stuff that, is dangerous yeah. in this episode. Um, depending on what you think of Chuck. And I, well, I think, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think he, I think he's kind of a scary guy. Yes. And again, it's amazing how much they flipped the script on that. And without yeah. changing anything fundamental to the character, they, they played Just on our, our perspective, expert, our yeah. perspective and our expectations, but they played straight with the actual character arc. Yeah. Which is the most important part. Yep. All right, Kim is first to arrive at the HHM Conference Center. I'm glad we don't have free pastries at Bald Move. Why? I just... You, you I, I, yeah. <laughs> Gain weight? I, yeah, I wouldn't okay. be able to fit out the door. All right. Uh, I wish we had that table, though. That's a pretty nice table. <laughs> uh, so she's in the conference room, and she rearranges the seating though she, so that she can sit next to Jimmy. During the meeting, she's playing footsie with him. And then afterward, they go smoke in the parking garage, and they're they're talking about Jimmy's new job and the perks of that, and a, a place that he might get of his own. And somewhere in there, she accidentally uses a we instead of a you, and Jimmy picks up. Or was I, she floating the idea? It's tough to say because I feel like at that point they're already talking about they're already playing house virtually. I. Th- Think and then she so? slips in the weed just to see. She just, is just certainly. Gauged. Although at this point, I feel like she's the one that's been pumping the brakes, right? Jimmy's wanted to, he's wanted to partner up with her literally mm-hmm. last season. So I don't know. She, I think she just wants something slightly different. Is that like dropping her, na- uh, you know, handkerchief and saying, "Well, hello, sailor." I mean, was that the invitation? Uh, this- I, I suppose so. Because we talked about how she really, you know, once he started talking about just being scam artists for the rest of their life, how her whole demeanor towards him changed. Yeah. And now, you know, she wants to be close to him. She's playing footsies. But it's all due to this job. It's like, yeah, this, you're a respectable attorney, and th- I like that. And Kim denying this about herself, is it because she – is, is this one of the things where she denied that – her relationship with Jimmy was tied up on his job prospects or maybe not job prospects, but for the fact that he wouldn't become slipping Jimmy again. 
I don't want to make it seem like she's a money grubbing lawyer. Right, right. She's got her own thing going thing. on. Um, um, but ha- but how much of this was she couldn't? You know, it's like one of those things. It's like, well, I really believe that, but I can't say I believe that. Yeah. So like people no, get interviewed I, on TV, they don't say I'm a fucking racist and I hate gay people. <laughs> but even though they might, really, kind of, they use like this coded language to, to sure, sure try to insulate themselves. Do you think that? Yeah, I, I think she definitely has reservations about who Jimmy wants to be. Yeah. Um, and the hints he's dropping along those lines, and she's kind of trying to drop her own hints the other direction, and they're kind of having a battle of wills here. Like, is Jimmy going to? give in and do what Kim wants him to do in order to be with her, or is he going to go better call Saul? Uh, sure. And go full on Saul and do and do the thing that's more true to himself. And that's the thing, like, throughout this episode, I think he's figuring out, like, this episode, the previous one, uh, he's figuring out who the hell he wants to be, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, ever since Marco, he's come, he's got this crisis going on. Yeah. So. Uh. Okay, so... And then she gets him a, a mug that says "World's Second Best Lawyer." That's what I was about to say, and it fits perfectly in his car. In this shitty old car. What is that car? What What is it's that a, car? A steam. A steam. A That's Suzuki? almost a prestige. Yeah, Suzuki steam. Suzuki steam. It's Terrible hilarious. Car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but good news, Jimmy. It's towed away in the next scene. It's all gone. The ladies at the salon are ogling his new Mercedes. Uh, he he checks it out himself as his old car gets towed away. And he finds that Kim's gift doesn't fit in the cup holder in the center yeah, console. Yeah, that's a it's a round uh, peg square hole situation. Yeah, that's a bad sign. I don't like that. Uh huh. Some I mean, something about who he is and this relationship just is not fitting into his life. Sure. And this this new job, the way I don't know why Jimmy this does. doesn't read as ham fisted to me. Like it really should. This is just this right. is just naked allegory. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's obvious. Yeah. Right. Uh, but I never, I mean, maybe some people, I mean, I guess that's whether you love the show or don't like the show. It's like, if you're looking for something to nitpick, this this kind of ham-fisted storytelling would be one, but it doesn't feel ham-fisted to me. Because they don't go to this well very often. I mean, it's not like they're doing this every scene where they have to have a conversation that explains perfectly Plus they exactly do, what's going on they, in everybody's they minds. Do the, they and, do the cup holder. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, if they had, if this was all text and subtext, but the fact that it's subtext, even though we don't need it to get what's going on here... Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's nice, and also it's like a t- the cup holder can, and it's a relatable problem too, right? Like sure. everybody has done that when they get a new car sure. or a new mug or something. It's like, well, shit. The solution is you go to the AutoZone and buy get the adapter. Hangover. No, fuck that. Oh, okay. Get the, you know, small thing and the big thing. Adapter. Man, I, I grew up in a. Uh, oh no, know. I know what you're talking. Where you're going? Those yeah. little little fucking plastic hanging hoops. over the window yeah. sill on the car. Those are great in the summer when you'd forget they're there, and it, you know you try to up, <laughs> lower the window and just dump the coke in your lap. Uh huh. Or you know, take a corner too hard, and the whole fucking thing goes flying. Sure, and it's just because you're trying to transport sixty four ounces yeah. of soda, yeah. in a flimsy plastic two cent yeah. thing. And best case scenario, it is just dripping and sweating water all over your legs the entire uh-huh. time. <laughs> Yeah, wow. good times, good times. A lot, a lot of stories about those. Uh, yeah, so what? What well, is I, I it? Say, well, the 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 the, okay. the, uh, the cup holder cam mm-hmm. that should make it worse, right? Like not only you're ham fisted, but now you're getting cutesy with the. But I just I love that shit. Yeah, yeah, it's something that that they can pull it's off. A secret sauce because the show is a little cute, right? The show yeah. does. 
I take its liberties with that stuff sometimes, but I like it. Is it the cake so good that no matter how ornate the icing, it's still fun? Whereas if the cake is shitty, you'd be like, "What? What do you? What's this pretentious bullshit icing right. doing here?" It's the difference between polishing a turd and accidentally getting a little bit of turd on a <laughs> on a beautiful pie. You wipe it off and you that. keep going. I don't know if we had to bring cobblers into the situation. What uh, were you going to say? I was going to say why. I was going to ask why this fucking salon owner hates Jimmy so much. What has Jimmy ever done to her? Well, I think this was uh, naked jealousy. You think so? As a business owner, she's upset that she can't afford the nice things. That well, not like that, but like... Handed. Okay. I mean, I'm going to get class here. <laughs> oh, boy. But I feel like I'm this I'm not woman... a classist, but... No, no, no. <laughs> I'm not. I'm those, not. I'm not. Veiled uh, I'm not. Comments. <laughs> I'm not. But I just think that when you're – no. Um, I think that this – she perceives – this is all internal loathing. Like even though Jimmy's the guy in the water closet that she's forbidden to drink her fucking cucumber water, uh-huh. he is a lawyer. Okay. And she is a person who manages a bunch of girls that paint toenails. She, she's a respectable business owner in but, my mind. Uh, but, I, in, but in her mind. Right, right. And now the fact that, like, the one thing she had over him that, you know, he's got to make time with the water heater and she can lord over to cucumber water and all that stuff. Yeah. Now he's ditching his old life. He's ditching her shithole water closet and he's got a Mercedes. I think it's, it's, it's naked. It's just jealousy. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Maybe a little bit of, uh, you know she's she likes to control people too, maybe. And if I point the camera, or, you know, if I point the lens on the other side of the table, Jimmy probably is from day one of meeting her. Like once they came to the agreement for the price of the closet, has been pretty, you know, pretty high handed with her. I can imagine pretty pretty. Uh, you know, what uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, oh, Jesus, I have my grasp of the English language. So when you look down on someone, condescending. Okay. Very condescending. Yeah. Uh, you're working, you, you should be working this job, not letting the job work you, and just giving her all this business advice why he's in her closet. Uh-huh. Like, you know, he's, he's sticking it to her. Right. He, and and also, right. I, I doubt he perfectly cleans up after himself when he gives himself pedicures, and that's mm-hmm. probably, I mean, she, he probably p- does he leaves, a lot to piss her off. Leave some water in the foot. Sure. Foot soaker. Sure. The old stinky foot yeah. water that yeah. she's got to clean up in the sure. morning. Ugh. It's got got all of his toenail filings on Ugh. the floor. I mean, who knows what? Just clean up after yourself, Jimmy. His leg hair is all curled up in the it's, it's Yeah. All right. I I think this scene also has the best shot of the episode in it, which is when Jimmy's checking out the car, uh-huh. and he's like trying to put this thing in the cup holder, and then he goes and he opens the sunroof, and there's a shot down through the sunroof, yeah. and he's kind of like, mm, I'm not sure about the sunroof thing. Yeah, uh-huh. Just call back to the Chicago sunroof from season one. Yep. Beautiful shot. It's a vulnerability. It's just a, it's a small bit of recognition on Jimmy's face that makes that sure. shot. Sure, yeah. I love it. Uh, one more thing about this scene. When they tow off his car, and you know he's got a new one, did you think this might be the caddy? I did. I, I like how they. I like, like how they've done that bait and switch twice now from a couple of different angles. And also, it really, it really kind of settles. There's like the three phases of Jimmy. You've got the slipping Jimmy drives the esteem. Uh huh. The best Jimmy that Jimmy can be drives the Mercedes. Salt Goodman drives the Cadillac. Right. And Vince loves. He fucking loves telling. I mean. 
I think he loves vehicles and he loves what they say about their owners. Uh-huh. And also, the one of the most enjoyable parts of the podcast, the Insider Podcast, was his just genuine delight that uh, there's this big car museum in L.A. that's got the, the Aztec. Uh-huh. And the display for the Aztec is ensconced between James Bond's vehicle. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what, the new one from Spectre, the Aston Martin. Yeah, the Aston Martin. Uh, and Magnum P.I.'s Ferrari. Yeah. He just giggles. Like, I mean, it's that's- like it's... How that, cool is that? This fucking Aztec, this pea green right, Aztec, this piece of is shit. between these exotic sports cars that these awesome dudes drove. It's amazing. And also, <laughs> Walter White, one of the worst mustaches in history, versus Tom Selleck, arguably is it even arguably one of the greatest mustaches in history? I I don't think that's very arguable. And I don't I think, think that that's that right goes on. over Vince's head. Of course not. Yeah, he's aware. Vince, yeah, he's. He, I think he's a middle of the road mustache guy. He's got the. He tries to offset the goatee, but everyone aspires to a select, don't they? Yeah, yeah. He's got the little uh, little thing going on too down under the lip. Yeah, I don't know what that's called. The evil Colonel Sanders. Yes. Uh, so Price pulls up to Mike's booth, Mike's parking booth, in his ridiculous Hummer, and he says he has <laughs> the Jurassic Park gag on that. Oh, that's I loved another it. Gag. I was like, man, is that going too far? No, I love it. No. I love it. It's like you you get the feeling that Mike's whole world is being shaken by this fucking Hummer. Like, sure. And it, both metaphorically and physically in this yeah. scene. And I, I really like it. Uh, the guy says, I have business with the police. Mike says, look, we'll, we need to have a little talk. During this talk, he realizes, oh, man, the police are on to Price. And they're calling him in to question him about that. Uh, why About something to sweat him. Uh, he tells Price, go home, don't answer your phone, and I will get your baseball cards back. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a great introduction for the Hummer. Also, the physical I, comedy of him trying to get a ticket. <laughs> leaning. Like, <sighs> I think everybody's been there. Like, you get a car that's a little too short, a little too tall, but in that fucking thing. The the the, the way they can shoehorn just broad, almost slapstick physical comedy into these otherwise serious dramas is just... It's 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 good stuff. And into the same scenes too, right? I mean, a scene will start with a ridiculous premise and by the end of it you're near tears yeah, I mean, with, no, with how good it is. This price guy is a preternatural idiot. I mean, yeah. And this is just but it's still such a great scene because our perceptions shift from Mr. Player here being a complete idiot to him being a credible threat to Mike's future. Uh-huh. And then at the very end, the punchline is they wing it back to him being an idiot. Yeah. Like, after we realize the true depth of the problem that Mike's got himself into, and he, and the, he does the, oh, yeah, it's like, oh, well, thank you for your generosity. Oh, it's going to cost you. Oh. Well, well we I guess we should discuss and just Mike walks off. It's great. It's great how they bring it you is. to both extremes in the back again. Yeah, and how, how that feels so natural, too. Like, you could look at a character like Price and say... This guy's here clearly just to cause problems for Mike. And I and I think that's true, but at the same time, you understand why the character is doing that, right? It, it comes into it that these are this is a sentimental issue for him, right? Yeah. These baseball cards are not just, you know, financial value that he could ditch. It's his father, who I think is implied is not around anymore sure. because he's given all of his baseball cards to his son. Price looks like he could be anywhere between 30 and 60 years old. Sure. That's what happens when you dress up like that. Mm-hmm. Can uh, look. Well, I, I thought it, it works on two levels because number one, Mike's like, ah, oh, 
I I understand that, that this is about his dad and especially even, I losing can't, his son. Right? This is like, something that I can't intimidate him over because this is something yeah. important to him. He he I and it gives he'll him license. risk an ass kicking. It gives him license to be unreasonable, right? And, and I think that's super important for character motivation. They can't just do what they do because they want to. It's because they need to. So that works the bagman side of Mike. The other side of Mike's being worked is his relationship with his son. Uh-huh. And him thinking, like, I wonder what my boy would do if I had a prize. Because, I mean, what links would he go to? Right. How stupid would he be? And he's like, I I can't win this. I'm going to have to take matters in my own hands. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and that's so and well. they don't say any of that shit. It's just Jonathan Banks's performance and and the writing that yep. that leads it down that line. Absolutely. Uh, and so we're talking about the depth of the storytelling here. Yeah. I got another pondering. Okay. Okay. Mike right. said, "Why don't you pull over here and let's have a little talk?" I felt like when I was watching this that the more natural phrase would be, "Let's have a little chat." Like, oh, you're going deep. Okay, I, know, I told you. I'm, I I'm, apologize, but but these are actual ponderings I had. Let me strap in. Does this thing have a seatbelt? <laughs> Jesus. Do you think Miss Hutchinson wrote it as chat, and then the, she's like, you know what? I Mike is so precise that he's going to use the slightly more formal talk. I'm going to give him just a little. I, I the the chat okay. makes him seem a little bit more silly, just just from a subconscious a level. Friendly? So I'm going to I'm going to kick it. Even though he's obviously ironic and this is kind of played for humor, I'm going to throw the talk in there mm-hmm. to upgrade to serious just a notch. I mean, essentially, how fine-tuned are they with their instrument? Uh, I know you tend to dismiss good... all this stuff, but I, I'm like, I, as a writer, I mean, I, I'm an amateur writer myself. I kind of wonder, like, it was that – because didn't do you think it's odd to say let's have a little talk instead of a chat? Or is that uh, a... Yeah, it's definitely a more serious... You're right. Or is that a West more... of the Rockies kind of thing? <laughs> where it's like they say... <laughs> we say pop, they say soda, we say uh-huh. chat, they say talk. Uh, it could it could certainly be. I mean, the, the stuff that I always dismiss is the stuff that's in, like, the background and what does it mean and mm. like, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, but when you're sitting down to write, you're purposefully trying to hit a tone. And I think whether it's, like, he wants to keep this guy... Uh, you know, at a distance and doesn't want to become buddy-buddy or he wants to, like, kind of be the father figure in this sort of uh, encounter in this in this moment here. Uh, I think it, it could certainly be hmm. just tuning. And I don't know if it ever was chat. Maybe, maybe it wasn't. Maybe they just realized, oh, yeah, he needs to be serious, so this is how serious people talk. Mm-hmm. And, like, they didn't have to adjust anything, but... Or she just could have written it that way. Or it's a happy happy accident, yeah. Yeah. But it does. You're right. Talk versus chat, certainly. It struck my ear as funny. Conveys something different. All right. Keep keep going? Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, ponderings. Jimmy's working in his new office, and he hears someone playing guitar in the background. And he follows the music to Cliff's office, where he tells Cliff he's realized that Sam Piper isn't being honest about the nature of their opt-in policy on optional allowance program. Uh, and Cliff praises him for the idea, for, for noticing that. So I got a little bit of lawyer feedback about some of the legal maneuverings that I've yeah. sent follow back up. Because I honestly, this struck me as just lawyer 101 stuff. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, if this was a show about mechanics and a guy brought in and a car had died, it's like, well, did you make sure the fuel tank was, was full? Because it could be I on mean, empty. You can tell that it's lawyering 101 because I understood what was going that's on. That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> like, but on, on the other, yeah. but it's so obvious. It's like the, that's the whole crux of the fucking argument that these uh-huh. these people. Well, I mean, it's not the crux, but 
he had a few he's he, you know the whole reason this all started is because you know he looked at a few of these documents and he talked to these people and he saw what they were doing with their savings and like all this you know company store bullshit that they're pulling at these nursing homes yeah um i would feel like the fact that this was mandatory versus optional like that would be something that would just jump out at you initially that's like the right. one of the, your first findings like your first 15 minutes of doing background research, like, oh, this is bullshit, you know? So it's interesting that... If this was... this, If this, they were making a making a, a murderer-style documentary, this would be the first 20 minutes <laughs> of the first episode. Right. I think I think you only reach that conclusion if you have all of the data and knowledge available to you. And I think there's there's feedback from somebody what about that discovery, I read. Sure. Uh, yeah, about discovery and how that gets delayed and pushed back, and you may sure. not notice things because you don't have access to... By the time the you contracts, get it, and that's the yeah. second scene that we yeah, yeah. see when Chuck walks in. That made that a concept bit more sense, but I felt like yeah, from yeah. what Jimmy already knew, that was a very like that seemed like a very such a obvious um, like it's something where you just walk into your boss's office and be like, "Oh, boom." Dropping a bomb on you, it seemed a little too obvious. But on the other hand, do you think maybe Cliff is humoring him? No. Yeah, good, good job, Jimmy. No, no, no. I That's think they're I think they're writing to the audience because okay, yeah, yeah. I don't. They're not lawyers, so right. how would they write a scene where some legal maneuvering happens? <laughs> and it'd be like if I try to write as a scene, you know, about fighter pilots. I try to make it exciting, right? But you know, it, it probably doesn't really capture the intricacies of what goes on in a dogfight. You know. Yeah, I've I never mean, been in one. The, the classic is Jurassic Park, where you know somebody says, "Oh, I know this." Yeah, it's Linux. Sure. I know this. Sure, Unix, sure. whatever. Uh, and, and just the way that that stuff is portrayed. Sure, I I can't imagine that you say like you go deep into actual law that you're going to get anybody going. Hey, that was a great episode. Right, and maybe I don't know. Maybe it's like well, every once in a while I'll uh, uh, accidentally catch a, a line drive mm-hmm. where it's like I just because. It leapt out at me doesn't mean it leaps because you know that's the way that's the true. internet works. You get a, th- a million people watching something, and there will be nothing hidden because yeah. all you need is one out of a million person to see the one thing in the background, and then bam, everybody knows it. So oh. that's like maybe it's my turn. Well, we missed the Slip and Jimmy art reference. There, episode, that's that was so. the line drive that <laughs> smacked me right in the nose. Right. So Mike goes into the upholstery shop where Nacho works, pretending that he wants. Uh, his shitty old seats reupholstered, sure. which, you know, that's another scene where they start it with this really funny premise and idea, and then it morphs and into it, a serious thing. And it also works on the sub- subtextual level because he's talking about, oh, no, I can't let this go. I I, I got to have this because of the extreme sentimental value. Yeah, perfect. Or she's just yeah. fucking with Nacho because Nacho already knows uh-huh. why he's there. Yeah. And who he is. This is just him, you know, making him squirm a little bit. Right, so Nacho's father leaves uh, to go deal with some stuff inside. And Mike tells Nacho he's going to give the baseball cards back plus $10,000. And in exchange, he's going to get roughly 60000 bucks out of the deal. Yeah, I was kind of, I guess, surprised that a Hummer H2 would be worth that much chopped up into pieces. But then yeah, I again, mean, I guess... There's an implication that it's worth seventy k. Well, I yeah, I mean, I think the I was trying to figure out what the retail of it was, and it's like really hard to find. Like, there's so many Kelly Blue Book style sites that they all want to tell you what they're worth now, and it seems like a 2007 H2 would set you back about thirty four thousand right now, right? And that's you In know two thousand eight, maybe a little bit more. Yeah, it's about ten years ago, so I'm assuming that maybe it was seventy eight, but also parts are probably like obviously. 
you can't order every part that's in a Hummer and put it together yourself and save money. <laughs> sure. Right. So, so they're going to charge. You know, the whole the sum of the parts are going to be worth less than all of its parts individually. So I guess parting, you get more money, but they're hot. So it's like, I was, I was trying mm-hmm. to do all that calculation. Like, okay, you're going to get more. You're going to get more money parting it, but the parts are hot, so you got to sell them at a discount. I guess right. that comes out. The, that seemed like a lot, though. Is it worth more or less than uh, a Hank Aaron? rookie card i mean a ty Cobb. yeah i mean that's the thing Mantle. like uh the guy that's really paying the price here is is the player guy price dan yeah i mean he gets his cards back but yes this hummer he's paying that he loves... mike ten thousand well no i guess nacho's paying mike ten thousand dollars for his trouble uh-huh. and price is losing let's say you got a great deal sixty five thousand dollar car right. it's all ill-gotten drug money right. i mean i think that's what makes it all funny and okay because he's just really he's paying the stupidity tax but this scene is so good i i think the the guy playing the guy playing nacho michael michael mando i think is his name or mondo i don't know how you say it uh he is so good opposite jonathan banks like such a contrast to tuco too like he's very and i think that's why it works especially when mike brings up tuco he's like uh, he just mentions Tuco's name, and you can see something change within. Because who knows what the hell Tuco's going to do? I think I think Nacho knows. Well, but I'm I saying think, like, I think Nacho knows. We don't. It, it's not going to be good. Exactly. We but just like, know how that. bad is it? Who it could be piss blood bad, or your brain splattered on a wall bad, or you got <laughs> dogs mean, sicked onto you until you die bad. Like, sure. <laughs> leave aside all the stuff we saw of Tuco in Breaking Bad. Sure. Season one, Tuco. Was a maniac. When these yeah. skateboard punks call his mom Biznatch, yeah, he's ready to kill him. Yeah, he settled uh, for breaking their legs. Yeah, yeah. So I think Nacho, uh, he gets the point, and it, you can really just see it on his face. There's a whole change in demeanor there, which I really love. Anything else? Uh, yeah, I actually. So I was looking up how much a H two was in 2007. Uh-huh. And I found an article written by like a car and driver style magazine. And tell me if this isn't the douchiest thing ever in retrospect. Oh, okay, it's it's about it's it's kind of lamenting. It's it's like it said uh, uh, the 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 title was all the pleasure and yet all the guilt. Here's the uh-huh. first two paragraphs. You know it won't always be this way. Temperatures won't remain this mild. The roads won't remain this open. And the cafe or corporate average fuel economy regulations won't always regard three-plus ton (laughs) off-roaders or commercial vehicles. Indeed, just because it's always been, don't assume that the air of bloated, excessive, hedonistically wasteful transportive devices will always be. Are you scared yet? Hummer isn't. And honestly, neither are we. Oh, my God. And so we cherish, while we have it, the over-the-top H2, which GM has just blessed us with a much nicer interior and, oh yeah, even more power for 2008. Did someone say cafe? Meet you there. We love French food. That's like... <laughs> wow. You know... I don't, I don't know what to say. I know. What, what did this guy say about the H3? That's what I want to know. <laughs> he pro- probably is, uh, you know, pussy mobile. Right. But I just thought this, like, this guy is essentially saying... I'm a total asshole for driving it, mm-hmm. but I'm still going to drive the shit out of it. Until they take it pride from my cold, dead hands, essentially. Yeah, that's my kind of asshole. If you're going to be an asshole, just own it. You know, right. don't, don't be an asshole, and then when someone says, hey, you're being an asshole, get mad about it. Right. Like, just like, yeah, I can deal. Those, don't be a hypocrite about it. Commit. But I'm like, and the whole fucking article is like that. It's just so Please, Car and driver, you said? No, it was no? a. I, okay. I, I meant to write down the article and then 
it, somehow the cut and paste job fucked up. So, <laughs> all right. uh, and probably it's best, you know, I don't want to send a witch hunt on whoever wrote this article and have a pack of screaming I mean, that environmentalists could be on him. Basically any of the guys from Top Gear, except, uh, the the one with the long hair. It's like I know in power. I know empowering Mid- Middle Eastern regimes and and raping Mother Earth is bad, right. but it feels so good, you know. <laughs> right. Uh, okay, we go to Chuck. He's lying awake while his clock ticks in the background. The next morning, when Ernesto shows up, Chuck decides he's going into the office unannounced. Just yep. uh, what, what do you think? Keeping a, keeping old Chuck it's, it's awake. The here. telltale ass, uh, asshole. Yeah, he's not. He's not sure what the to do about this. Telltale smell of the unwashed asshole. Uh, keep him up zone funk and it seems i I don't know we'll talk about that later price turns over the keys to his hummer to nacho in exchange for his baseball cards uh i i noticed the the one other thing i want to say about this sequence here for a guy okay as someone who grew up with a father who collected baseball cards in a pretty intense way i know this about you can confirm and for a man who ostensibly loves baseball cards as much as he does, mm-hmm. he's keeping shit care of these yes, things. Yes, you're right. He stuffed his goddamn Mickey Mantle rookie card into a cardboard box. Yeah. And yet when Ty Cobb is brought up later on, he's saying, yeah, keep it away from the UV, uh, the even... Well, and he even says when he's talking to the... Co- now, here's the, here's the thing. My dad had a Babe Ruth rookie card, and he kept it in, I shit you not... Oh, no, yeah. ...a good three inches of plastic. Sure. And safe. he kept it in in a, a fucking cashmere sleeve in a safe. Uh-huh, like, uh-huh. that's what you do yeah. with $10,000 cards. Now, now, here's my thing. Yeah. In the last episode, when he's given a report to the cops, he mentions that he has these all top-loaded, like, these are all in top-loaded sheets or protective he sleeves. Does. I think this is kind of like the gangster equivalent of chop shop card stuff. Like, they've gotten rid of all that shit. I think so. Got them yeah, set yeah. up. And, so it's like, that's how I took it. But he doesn't ever mention like, oh, you took these out of the yeah, you sleeves. Think. Like, because I can't. He's so the value oblivious. has gone down. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, he's so oblivious. He absolutely would be fucking and hyperventilating feel, about that. I feel like it might have given him an opportunity to try and, in that moment, demand something. Like, yeah. not just an apology, but demand like and a then, piece and of something And then Mike would be like, "It's the sentimental value, remember? Uh-huh. Like, you know." Uh-huh. And then that back that back him down. Yeah, I mean, they didn't have to go there, but I felt like. I know I know too much about baseball card collecting to just yeah. let it slide. Sorry. And I wonder if because obviously the writers were were thinking about this when they had a statement like, okay, if he's a serious collector, he's gonna. I wonder if the prop yeah. guys they're like, oh, we need a baseball card collection. They didn't specify it. They showed up and they're like, eh, maybe Nacho did it, you know? Right. And then then improvise, throw in a line like you took him out of the sleeves. Yeah, I get it. I get uh, it. Well, it's I'm, a sentimental value. I'm I, I'm with you. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm nitpicking. I'm sorry, but I have to. Uh, uh, I also, yeah. Oh man, I I love the ta- the fact that he's got "Take Me Out to the Ball Game" ringtone, and I actually thought that it was background music for this guy. Like it was kind of an ironic playoff for his character, <laughs> and I'm like, that's an interesting choice for Dave Porter to make. And then it was his uh-huh. ringtone. I'm like, ah, aha, okay, all right. Uh, during the meeting, oh, at- one other yep. question. Because because this this we've they've invited this discussion about vehicles and their you know stick stick outedness yeah yeah uh, my girlfriend maintains that Nacho's van choice is just as bad as the Hummer because it's huh. so shitty and yeah. like a stripped down eighteen it stands out as like this uh, a post apocalyptic eighteen vehicle 
that if you are a Latino man who's a gangster driving around, you would want something. You'd want to, like, drive in a Plymouth Voyager or something. You wouldn't want to be rocking, hmm. uh, you know, a scary-looking pedo van uh-huh. that might have some emissions problems or, you know, some electrical problems that the cops might just want to pull you over and take a look in back. <laughs> Now I didn't get chance? it. This is all. This is all. These are her ponderings. Uh, what What do you think about that? Uh, I don't think that's unreasonable. I mean, look what Mike's I, driving. Mike's driving. Oh, he's an a old quintessential man. old man. Car. He's driving an old yeah. man car. Like you're right. I get Mike, that's a work truck. Like that, that's what I was thinking. Like, is it maybe owned by the upholstery shop and like he's driving it around just as his job? I mean, I imagine if the Albuquerque police pulled over every Latino in a work truck, right? That we, that's literally all that's they all would they, do. Uh-huh. Like, they wouldn't have time for anything else. Sure. Any, any, any of the crazier racial profilings they probably do. <laughs> right. It's only, you can only do so many racially yeah, profiled before cases. Before, it's just, it's, it's obvious. In a you know, it's day. no longer subtext, it's text, and you can't have that. Right. Uh, so, I, I don't know the answer to that. But uh, during a meeting at HHM, Jimmy suggests that they get copies of contracts directly from residents instead of waiting for them, to, uh, for the defense to provide them. Uh, the meeting's interrupted by the collection of everyone's phones and electronics, heralding the arrival of Chuck, who sits down at the end of the table, and his presence kind of throws Jimmy off for a little bit until Kim helps him regain his composure. And in the hall, Jimmy asks Chuck, uh, "Ask Chuck why we're why he's here," and he just says, "To bear witness." And then and then he heads out. And then Mike gets a call from, or Mike calls Jimmy and says, "I have a job for you if you're still morally flexible." To bear witness, that is a hell of a line reading. It is. It means so many things. It could mean so many things. And the way they deliver it, you could read a lot into it. I feel like there's a literary reading that I don't get, the, sure. the connection that I'm not making. I just took it literally to like see... Something about LeBron. Okay. LeBron James. Uh, uh, <laughs> I definitely don't get that. I know you're not a sports guy. If you're talking about literature or sports, I'm not going to get those. <laughs> Those are my two biggest blind spots. Uh, no, I, I read it as, like, I want to see both what Jimmy's up to and and also maybe verify for myself that he's not, you know, slipping Jimmy and that he's doing he, – he's bearing witness to kind of the new Jimmy and, and, and kind of skeptically, right? He's not – so I, yeah, so the oh man, because there's a, a bit of Greek tragedy to this, in that if Chuck doesn't show up, Jimmy for other reasons probably does the straight and narrow, and you know continues to excel and help all these old folk, and right. gets with Kim, and they buy their smoker and their horse and their metric fuck ton of oats, and they're fine. <laughs> um, the psychology, I mean, I think sure everybody knows a son who's had a bad relationship with their father and this like judgmental and disapproval make I mean there's two reactions you can have well I uh-huh. guess three you can kind of be a underachiever and just like keep your head down and just kind of rebel by slacking you can be an overachiever and like I'm going to show him I'm going to be the greatest thing ever and oh, you'll be proud of me dad and right. then there's the I'm going to go fucking slash the tires of the local cop and have him bail my ass out of jail at 3 o'clock and embarrass the shit out of him. Just show, if you think I'm this kind of, oh, I'm going to show you what I can be. Right. And this that seems rebellious. Be, that's a bit of what Jimmy's got going mm-hmm. on for him. But yeah. It's yeah. a switch. Like, he's 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 riding on the edge of, like, I want him to be proud of me, but I'm also, if he's not going to be proud of me, then I'm going to just show him what, because this this 
Mike calling him and offering him this outlet of like, oh, I'm going to do something that, you know, Chuck would never fucking do. I'm going to show him and I'm going to, I still got my balls. And I I think it's a direct reaction to this bear witness bullshit. Yeah. The timing is unfortunate for that phone call. Uh, But, but yeah, I, I think you're, you're right on there. There's also like the strange way that Chuck has kind of morphed into an authority figure in Jimmy's life and has kind of kept him under his thumb. Right. Yeah. And like, we know Jimmy does not play well with authority and, and sure. rules. And so the way that over the years he's stopped becoming his brother and more become like this, this warden almost yeah. over Jimmy's life, he's now rebelling against that. I thought it was interesting how uh, Seppenwald did a good job of pointing out how our perception of Chuck's rituals have changed. Like when the firm first cut power and gave him the standard standing O and uh, collected all our cell phones, it was kind of touching and like, uh, you know, make a wish foundation thing. Mm-hmm. Like, the, there's this poor sick kid coming in, and we want to make sure he feels like he's aces. And now it feels more like the imperious actions of a bully. Yeah, like he's just lording this shit over people and it's rattling Jimmy. I thought that was right. neat. So you talked about you have a hard time getting a read on Harry. Yeah, Hitting, I'm sorry, How- Howard. Howard. Mm-hmm. I've got I, here's my read on him. You know, there's the use of the sayings like he, someone's a poor man's version, which is mean like it's the same kind of archetype. But I think that that Howard is a rich man, a wealthy man's version of Pete Campbell from <laughs> Mad Men. Oh, okay. Why? Why do you? I say mean, just that? what aspect? So, of so like, there's I think it's Bert that said, you know, Pete, you make your clients feel at ease, and you work very hard at doing that, and yet, uh, oh shit, who's the guy with the, the eye patch? <laughs> Uh, Ken. Ken. Cosgrove, but Ken yeah. makes his clients feel as if they don't have a care in the world. Actually, Lane Price said that, I think. Uh-huh. I think even though Howard is conventionally good looking and he's got the suits, you look at his performance. Like, right when he finds out that, that Chuck is coming in, and like the few seconds he has before he the, the Chuck does, in fact, come in, he got turns and is like, is, is scrutinizing the room. Like, is there a light on? Is someone got the cell phone? Do I see a watch? Yeah. Like, he's trying to make everything yeah. perfect. And then. If you look at when he's he's got this fidgety performance, he's always kind of, you know, kind of ju- like he's not comfortable in his own skin. Hmm. Yeah, he and he's never been like the man. Chuck has always been the man. He's been the man that enables the man. And I feel like right. he's, you know, Jimmy is smooth and he's good with people and he's charming. Mm-hmm. Chuck is brilliant. Howard is Pete Campbell. OK, I can buy that. It, it, there does seem to be. A, a whiff of phoniness coming off Say, of him this way in, that, that, in some ways, or yeah, or maybe feelings of of uh, inadequacy, maybe from from Howard next to Chuck, and he's got like this kind of valley. Which Pete always had next to to Don. He's, I mean, he's got this kind of valley girl version of a upper crust accent. He's I I would say he's doing a fair job of hiding it, like it, it's only sure. barely seeping through the seams there, sure. but. I, I get where you're coming from. Yeah. Something about him. Like, they totally changed our perspective on him in season one, and I think, you know, it softened me to him a lot, but there's still something yeah. there. Yeah. I mean, everything about him is artificial, and you know it's artificial, and you're kind of cool with that because it's like air conditioning. You walk in the room, this is artificial, it's not real, but it feels good. Yeah, <laughs> it's and refreshing. he's successful. Yeah, know? yeah. I mean, so I thought that was interesting. Uh, the other place where we can go with this is chuck and i'm i'm i said earlier in the episode i'm a little scared of chuck i'm i'm a little 
intimidated is not the right word. I think actually scared of what he might do. I am too. Um, given Jimmy's rise now and and how he perceives that. I I think there's a lot of potential here for, just like Chuck was sabotaging him before, to try and weasel his way in to the operations here and get Jimmy out of the way. Well, and I think that this scene of Kim, like, calming Jimmy, like, I don't think that Chuck is picking up on this now, but I think they're showing us rely- him relying on Kim. Yeah. And, you know, what can Chuck do overtly to Jimmy? Not a lot, especially if, if Howard's being factually accurate, which I do believe as far as, like, I've we've worked him at the education, told him at his experience level, all that. Yeah. I feel like going after Kim is how he would go after Jimmy, if that's what he's going to do. Right, right. I mean, that's certainly his weak point. Yeah. I mean, that's if we want to go back to the Greek stuff, uh, yeah, yeah. that's his Achilles heel. Yeah. Uh, the other the other thing that I couldn't help but think about at the end of this episode is that tape. And I know we made a lot about Walt's confession tape in Breaking Bad at the very beginning of that the series. Cobbler? The cobbler okay. tape, which is falsified evidence, as Kim says, you know. Uh, is there a, a path for that to kind of lead to Jimmy's downfall, and might it take the route of Chuck? It depends, I suppose, on whether the cops kept it and they actually opened up a case or an investigation or... Right. You know, if... if and I think maybe that's where Saul was was wiggling as far as, like, well, you're splitting hairs on fabricating the evidence, like... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It could be. I'm just saying it's out there. At the very least, like Gail's karaoke video, that's a tape I want to see. Sure. <laughs> a grown man sitting in a pie crying. <laughs> sure. Fully clothed, mind you. I wonder <laughs> I wonder if... Uh, interesting. So, yeah, I mean, if... Would that implicate... Is, is Jimmy in that video... I guess I, it, I, would, you don't I don't need think to. he would they, be. They because... just find out with the cops, and the cops would say this was provided to us by Jim. yeah. So like uh-huh. yeah, I, I guess. And then and, like you could lean on Price pretty easily, I think. And imagine Cliff. I imagine Cliff would fire Jimmy for that, right? Which would drive him into full on. So Jimmy maybe mode, maybe they don't have Jimmy. to go. Maybe they don't have to go after Kim. I, but they also could. You're right. Or they could if, if Vince really wants to be emotionally devastating. <laughs> it's a two prong attack. He goes after oh, Kim. Oh my god. And that still doesn't sink Jimmy, so then he goes and he finds out the tape, and that blows him up. Or, because we know Kim has f- kind of fucked Jimmy before. Like, not just literally, but like, not proper fuck, but she... How, how do you know that? I don't remember that. I thought she was complicit in some of these maneuverings with uh, Chuck and, and Howard last season. Like, she either didn't uh... tell Jimmy what was going on, or helped them, or, or tried to... She, she didn't tell she well there's the thing with the deal right the offering the deal like made it seem like that's a big win for him and when jimmy found out that this was howard's idea uh which is actually chuck's idea he felt personally betrayed by her so i guess she didn't really betray him right and then they have a conversation about that what and i'm they getting at to terms is would kim the save her own neck Right, Devol- like Chuck saying, I've got something over you, and she gives Jimmy up. She gives the tape up to save herself. Would she do that? Right, that's a good question. And is that and the I, kind of thing would make a guy turn into Saul Goodman? Like you got it could. You got to put aside like what you feel about Kim or something. You always got to feel like mechanically like that's something that would definitely shove you over to Saul and right. What is what does Kim want more? Her career, her path to uh, success, or yeah. Jimmy? Like yeah. 
and and she's the only one who can answer that. So. And no one's perfectly virtuous or heroic, let, right. let alone in the Breaking Bad universe. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Uh, okay, Jimmy accompanies Price to meet with the police, and Price tells them that he got the cards back, so it's not an issue anymore. They keep pressing. Jimmy dismisses Price and says... Uh, he, he weaves this story about uh, Price making videos of himself sitting in pies for a very generous uh, elderly male patron. Afterward, Jimmy tells Price that it went great, but he'll have to make a video. <laughs> yeah. Which is really good. Uh, I I don't know what to say. We were worried that the Hoboken squat cobbler was going to be a rehash of the Chicago sunroof. I think they took it in a direction that was slightly unexpected and and... I liked it. Yeah. I really enjoyed this I scene. mean, you hear Squat Cobbler, I'm thinking it's something with poop. Yeah. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. well, the Chicago sunroof is just shitting through a sunroof in Chicago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, yeah, no, I... What sells it is the execution. The fact the that way... Jimmy is playing a version of himself that is uh-huh. uncomfortable and embarrassed, but also trying to be above the board. Like, at, at all times, he's trying to steer this back to... But, Mike, you know, back to legal land. And the cop, mm-hmm. he, like... Which makes me wonder, because the cops keep like, oh, no, this is kind of interesting or funny. Like, I, I kind of, I, they're being seduced in the story. It, yeah. It, did. He knows how to tell a story. Did Jimmy come in here with this idea, or did this all come about from him reading the room? Because he just sits there and lets Price. It's a good question. Let's Dan just run. Uh-huh. Just run. And he's he's clearly communicated to the cops that I know that you're not, we're no. It's like, look, I'm not an idiot. And he just lets him run and talk and flail. And then he's like just looking at the detectives and seeing what they're thinking of him. Like I feel like right. I feel like that could be also be him like searching the index of right. cons that he's got, he's... right? Like, okay, we do the squat cob with me, Mark used to do the squat cobbler yeah. thing back in the day. Maybe that'll work here. Maybe I need to go to Chicago Sunroof. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, squat I, cobbler. My so my feeling is he didn't go in that room thinking, Oh, this is gonna yeah, be yeah. a classic Hoboken squat cobbler. Uh-huh. He went in there with, you know, his his long reservoir of cons that he could run and his agile mind mm-hmm. and he just like All right, I know this is the this is the this is what's gonna hit the mark. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I think he's he's reading the room at all times, and it really gives you an insight into like knowing so much about Jimmy's backstory now, who he was, how he operates. You you get a lot of insight into Saul and how in Breaking Bad he just effortlessly walks effortlessly walks into the room and befuddles all the cops, befuddles the lawyers. He steamrolls everybody. You really get a good sense of why that is Mm -hmm. through this uh, series. And I just there's so much great comedy like. They just really pull you in, and these these cops are even leaning in and listening to it. <laughs> right. And he's talking about this, these <laughs> sitting in pies and wiggling, and there's a costume, and he's a crybaby squat, and he's uh-huh. which is a very niche within a niche, right? Yeah, he's the Julianne Moore of of the <laughs> of the crybaby squats, and he's like, but, but trust me, you know, the world's a rich tapestry, but you don't want to see it. And the cops both in unison <laughs> turn to look at the guy. It's and it's hilarious, right? I love it. Yep. Uh, Jimmy tells Kim about the squat cobbler story. She thinks it's hilarious until she realizes that he fabricated evidence by actually making the video, and she can't understand why he would risk disbarment for this and says that even, like, she can't ever hear about anything like this again, and he says she won't. Doesn't say he won't do it. Just says you won't hear about it. This... I thought was unexpectedly sad. Because, yep. and, and not like, yep. you know, because as Shane pointed out in the forums, Shane the Bowman Bowman... Um, he, 
mention that like you surely expected i mean this is not like it didn't throw me for a curve and i'm like yeah you're right it's just like it happened so quickly mm-hmm. very naturally because mm-hmm. he's just telling a story and then it's like wait what like i i guess there's a line between telling the cops a story right because uh, you know you could advance a, a theory of defense right Sure. And then, but then if you actually fabricate evidence to support your theory, that's where you can get into trouble. Yeah. And that makes sense. Uh, and she's, of course, horrified by it. And he's like, well, this is just some pro bono thing. This is, and I got some information about whether that's actually yeah. any kind of firewall at all or not. Um, I mean, the reason I, I see it as so sad is that it's how seriously she reacts to it. It's like, sure. it's not, J- Jimmy thought he had one thing where, where him and Kim could be who they are with each other and that would not affect what they think of each other uh and even though kim just says don't tell me about this and she's not like i never want to see you again or anything like that you can tell that it changes her opinion of him yeah and and he can tell that and i think that's the sad part is that he can't actually even with the person he thought he could be himself with he can't actually do that this is this is a reinforcement of last week where he can't tell her his intimate partner he can't tell her what happened in cicero yeah with marco sure and it's also you know like i I put on the forums that this is we're witnessing the beginning of the end of their brief relationship because like once you can't be intimate with someone yeah what is relationship you're you're not intimate now you're just acquaintances right and it's it could you know it could either dissolve or it could take some work to get back there I don't know what the status of them, those two in better uh, Breaking Bad history is. Mm-hmm. We never see her. doesn't mean she's not around. It just means we never see her. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, she's that, not around with Gene. I can tell you that much. Another pondering. Yeah. She says at one point she's embarrassed because she missed the obvious pun instead of saying that takes the cake. That takes the pie. She goes, mm-hmm. oh, man, I should just jump off the roof right now. I'm not saying that she's going to be thrown <laughs> off the roof. Uh-huh. But is this potential foreshadowing that she is going to metaphorically take a fall for Jimmy? Oh, my God. Is that too much for you? Is this tripping your bullshit sensor? Uh, I just feel like along the way I've learned too many lessons. Too many lessons to dig that deeply. The 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 dead man's brew is a bust. I don't know if I can go with dead man's joke. <laughs> dead woman's joke. I don't <laughs> I still maintain you did not seriously advance a dead man's brew, uh, but I couldn't conclusively for a while, prove it. For a while, I did. Certainly. Okay, all right, all right. So you, you got uh, you it got... became more tenuous every episode that it didn't happen. But <laughs> uh, but no, and like the fact that he can't articulate why he's doing this, even though there is a reason that yeah. can be articulated. Yeah. Do you think it's because Jimmy doesn't understand himself? It's like that. Uh, what, I think partially. What the uh, Oracle tells the mate, the the Neo, that you can't see past your own choices because you got to understand them. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Causality. Uh, and that's the real tragedy with all these characters. Yeah. Is I think they don't fully understand why they're doing the things they're doing, what drives them. But yeah. But but as an audience, I think we get a pretty good window. Do you think he owes it to Kim to at least struggle? Like, okay, you might not be articulate, but fucking talk about your feelings, Dick. Like yeah, what are you feeling? I, thought, I mean, he tried to at the the restaurant, right? At the pool, at the the bar last Did he? episode. Like he how? tried to tell her, "Look, none of this is fulfilling me. I'm not feeling like I'm I'm myself here. Here's mm. what I want to do." And he shows her, and then that that is cool with her. And it felt like they had come to some kind of understanding there. But then he goes and he takes this job because he I. I 
I don't know. That's a really tough call. Like I, yeah, you know, I never. I guess I always think, and this is probably naive of me, that like a con artist doesn't like being a con artist. Like I want to believe in the. I think he, Jimmy does. He loses sleep at night because he just wonders. Oh, I'm just lo-. you're, but that might. I think not Jimmy's be true. more like Butch and uh, Sundance, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. I think. Because that's, I think he's along how, that line of con. Yeah, I mean, it shows how much I'm rooting for Jimmy as a decent human being because I think you're right that what they're telling me is he is good at this mm-hmm. and he likes doing it. And whether he feels guilt in the moment or afterwards or not, it's not, you know, people do that. People, people, you know. Yeah. I feel like there's probably very powerful people that fuck people over that can't sleep at night and they do it anyway because, you know... Hey, I'm gonna it's go. Just what they do. I'm gonna go fly my private jet to Switzerland and ski tomorrow. So fuck them. And there's other people right. that just don't ever think about it as right. being wrong. Yeah. I don't know what kind of person Jimmy is. Probably the former. Mm-hmm. But. But I don't think you're wrong to want to hope that Jimmy will be a decent person either. Yeah. I think that's natural. We like, like Jimmy. Yeah. It's like I feel like a decent person wouldn't be satisfied. But uh, he's right. also been portrayed as the Robin Hood of con artist he's not going after little old ladies and uh-huh. even when he tries to sort of take advantage of him, he ends up helping them right where you know his big marks have been people we would say are just assholes or he's taking advantage of the greed and i don't know yeah all right let's see into the episode hey this is the point in the podcast where i smash your ass into a pie <laughs> Uh, go to cobbler.ballmove.com to see the hot video of Jim it's ASMR track no it's we're just gonna put it up with the audio only I, the see, squishing I don't, I don't noises think you're of getting the man's. ASMRs I think it's a lot gloopier than that like ASMR well, it's, I'm a, thinking, it's a lot of different things to a lot of different people I'm thinking whispering I'm thinking tapping uh-huh. I'm thinking tearing papers uh, who says a pie couldn't an ass and a pie couldn't be ASMR to somebody? I do. I say that. Well, it's not to you, but someone's out there we, thinking, "Oh, that's a good idea." You cannot. I'm going to get on that YouTube business <laughs> business idea. There you go, people. I'm trying to sell a service here, <laughs> sir. Please quit dismerching it. Um, you can't go to cobbler.baldmove.com, but you can go to club.baldmove.com. And if you like this kind of freeform jackassery, whoo boy, there's lots more of it there. We got uh, you know we do a live show once a week. Sometimes twice a week, because we do a, a on the rocks. It's in the evening, That's right? Uh, with our f- listeners, or you can have a Q and A session with us and interact and kind of shape the show yourself. We've got a lot of like side projects we do. We just uh, debuted Quit Your Pitching. Uh, we've got some uh, video game projects coming. Uh, we got live watches, The Watching Dead, where you can watch us. You know, essentially make fun of the show in real time. Uh, all for a pr- an ad free podcast. You don't have to listen to this uh, awkward uh, salesmanship ever again. Uh, all for a very reasonable price. Club.baldmove.com helps support us as independent podcasters. And if you don't want to do that, or you can't, or whatever, and you do shop online, well, Amazon.baldmove.com is the link you need to use because that takes you to Amazon, and you get all the great Amazon stuff, and you also, at no charge to you, support Bald Move. It, it's essentially, uh, it, it's kind of like a, it's a light crime. It's like fabricating. Pie-based evidence. Uh-huh. We essentially are stealing pennies from Amazon when you when you use this link, but it's all uh, you know, on the up and up. You're not trying to upsell them, are you? I'm not trying. I'm, <laughs> I'm actually trying to downsell Amazon. Okay. By upselling the, the bald the bald move service. We must have some feedback. We do. We do. Um, JJ asserts that we are missing the significance of the light switch. The light switch is a test 
The law firm simply puts a switch in every office to see if their employees flip the switch. It lets them know who is the rule follower and who's the risk taker. Okay. That's a hell of an I I suppose so. They could. If 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 uh we hire people in bald moves, should we have a don't flip the switch with some kind of log that shows when it's flipped and how many times? I th- I think what we should do cuz that you're talking t- about I think that does tell you something about a person that can't be faked. You're talking about pastries, right? Like bald move company pastries. Oh, okay. Uh, I think we bring a donut in every single day. Yeah. You bring a new donut in, uh-huh. and you have a little note that says, like, Aaron's donut, don't eat. Yeah, but you never but eat you it. But you never eat it. Sure. Ever. For years, you never eat this donut. Yeah. When does that person eat that donut? <laughs> how long? The thing wait, is, let's say, okay, it but says. Then how many people are in the office? Because if it's just you, me, and the other, and the other person. Just one person. Because you have to know who's I don't doing think they the, ever eat it. They never eat it. It's like, you know, if you have... Does Jimmy eat it? Like, I only have one kid, and that's a huge advantage, because if some shit weird happens in the house... Yeah. yeah. It's it's, it's him or the cat, <laughs> and the cat's only capable of so much maliciousness mm-hmm. and, and so much mischief. You have two kids, now you got Heisenberg's, you know, brat. Yep. Which of you assholes <laughs> did it? You're both swearing up and down you didn't, you both got the tears, and you're both scared to caught. I mean, I yeah, you'd have to have, like... Optimally, more than three employees to do, make something like that. Wait, but but if it's going to be a true test, I think it's one one employee. No, I mean I think you because kids cameras. don't not misbehave. You, you, you rig up secret they're... cameras and they don't know they're being observed. So it's like which uh, is the one that's going to eat it mm. and then deny it, and okay. then you have that person killed. <laughs> Taken out to the desert, legs broken. <laughs> that's just it is just a donut. Killing right. them would be extreme. You're right. What's it's you know you got to think about it like a judge. Uh, but I like that. I like that idea of a psychological test. Mm-hmm. Uh, Devin said, uh, last week everyone's commenting how ridiculous Danny with his uh, Hummer was, his watch and his shoes. This might be a bit much for you, but I thought it was interesting. Oh, he's ridiculous. Devin? No. Let's let up on this guy, man. <laughs> Price. Jesus. Oh, okay. Uh, but a thought struck me this week as I was watching Jimmy's old car get towed away. Could there be some sort of intentional choice and implied significance to the red and yellow color palette? We got a few people sending oh, this in. Yeah. Devin was the first. After all, the Villa gang packed so much meaning into the smallest and seemingly mundane things, be it cinematography, set design, editing, and character beats, so much so that we all wondered what the hummingbird could possibly mean last week, even though it was just a happy accident. Keeping in mind that I only just finished watching the episode and haven't fully processed my ideas, here are my working thoughts so far. First thing that comes to mind is that the red and yellow could represent either the identity or motivations of a character, or prob- possibly both. For example, with Danny, it's clear that materialism is all he cares about. He sells drugs in order to buy himself toys. All of those toys just so happen to be red and yellow. It may look ridiculous, but tells us a lot about his motivations and how he views his own identity. Uh, he finds his identity in things. Without them, he begins to break down and become a lesser man, as we see with the baseball card fiasco. Do you agree with that part of the analysis? Like, I don't think he became a lesser man losing his baseball cards. It just he's just oblivious. I mean, he's always oblivious. He didn't become more oblivious. His right, his essential obliviousness is what caused the motivation to call the cops, not the theft of the baseball cards. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, I, I'm with you there. Uh, so what about Jimmy? Well, up until this point, he's been driving around his red and yellow Suzuki Esteem. It's even got Esteem in the title, for crying out loud. The car represents the underdog nature of Jimmy and his struggle to make a name for himself as a respectable lawyer. Once he achieves that goal and becomes a well-respected lawyer working at a nice job at D&M, 
he loses the red and yellow car since it no longer accurately represents his current identity or motivation. He no longer feels the need to make a name for himself or impress anyone. Yet just before we lose his old car, we get a world's second best lawyer thermos. Ooh. A red and yellow thermos given to him by Kim, the person has become his new motivation. Not to say Kim has never been a motivating factor before this, but I think it's safe to say that last season is much more heavily focused on making a name for himself, whereas this one is heavily focused on Kim and Jimmy's relationship. Uh, I think it shows Jimmy's main motivation is now his relationship with Kim. I had a different analysis on that, too. What do you think? Uh, Yeah, I think he's... uh, Somewhere I read... uh, I think it was an article... It might have been Seppenwall. But somebody said that yellow in this series seems to them to represent, like, unrealizable ambition. Like... This is where I check out. Okay. The actual specific meanings of colors. Okay. Well, I I know that that was a thing that people talked about in Breaking Bad a lot. Yes. And, and yellow in that series a lot of the time meant danger. Uh, That's it, what people said. Yeah. So I, I don't know if you want to go there with, with this stuff, but yeah, people were... I'm not, are, I mean, I put, go with it if you want to. I'm just saying this is the stuff I don't find per- personally persuasive. Right. You never really like color theory. All that I much. do like color. I mean, thematically, like the fact that this is red and yellow vehicle, red and yellow vehicle, red and yellow no. cup, red and yellow shoes and watch... I do think that saying pay attention to this, but I don't think it's like red means, you know, I don't know. Red means yeah, love yeah. and yellow means danger and Kim's a dangerous love and his <laughs> right. love for his baseball cards is almost going <laughs> to I mean, like that, I don't feel like that you can put it together. Like they're conj and you just assemble them and now it's a sentence. Right. It doesn't get that granular, I don't think. But, but some people do get that granular with it. Sure. Absolutely. Like Tom and Lorenzo with the Mad Men color analysis. Like, But I, I think when you're picking like a color for a car and you say – uh, you know what? These are guys who are trying to do their thing, but but can't uh, yeah. for one reason or another. Um, and then, you know, as soon as Jimmy gets rid of it, now he's realized his ambition. Right? Sure. He's gotten this fancy car and this fancy lawyer position, and he's who he always kind of wanted to be uh, from a certain angle. I'd uh, also, I'll, and, and then and then the other dude is gets his car taken away from him because sure. he doesn't have any hope of realizing that ambition. Sure. Uh, I like so Kim gives him his world's second best lawyer, who she thinks I'm assuming the joke is that she's the world's best lawyer. Yes, yeah. but Jimmy doesn't take it that way, right? I think he does. See, I thought that that was reminder of Chuck. Oh, really? That's a real shit thing to do, Kim. No, no, no. Kim didn't intend that. <laughs> okay, that's how. All that's right. that's when that's how Jimmy. Gotcha. Like it, you know. I don't think the way he kind of wrinkled sense. his face up. It. I don't think he saw it as funny. The way Kim intended it, it's like, oh, God damn it, my I am. I'm always in Chuck's shadow. Right. Right. Which explains huh, that, like I didn't that, get that, but you're right. That totally makes sense. Yeah, and it also keeps like a consistent every 10-minute beat where Jimmy gets a reminder of Chuck that it mm-hmm. kind of takes those, the, the wind out of his sails. Um, okay, so we had a lawyer, you know, uh, our, our friend Doug L. didn't have experience with like super ritzy law firms. Uh, I have an anonymous source, uh, so take oh, that for what you will. It should be it's good. hearsay, but I'll allow it. Uh, he calls himself a reformed Ivy League lawyer, and he says, like much of the rest of the world, the law, world of law is split up between the top 1% and everyone else. 
as an Ivy League lawyer, a hashtag humble brag, who worked at one of the top five law firms in the world, I think everything you saw last week is accurate. My chair alone costs in excess of a thousand, and as for a first year associate, we made over two hundred thousand a year, and that's straight out of a law school. <laughs> Jimmy uh, isn't likely an associate; uh, he's likely brought in as counsel, so his comp is much higher. Of counsel is usually the title they give to a lawyer who has several years of outside experience and a potential to bring in business. As a result, he is a world he is in a world where he makes more money than an associate, but less than a partner. If he proves he is smart and or can bring in clients, then he can make partner in one to two years instead of the traditional eight and ten year path, which I think is the whole okay. the partner track. The partner yeah. track. Um so I thought that was kind of interesting, although what he thought was the most outlandish part was a company car. He says that that okay. seems like unheard of, but I'm like, man, I I feel like a company car is an easy type of compensation to give. I feel like a company car is better suited for a different job. Possibly. Like, lawyers drive to and from work. I mean, maybe, yeah, they're going out meeting clients and stuff. I guess. I guess a, a car for a lawyer might make sense. But... Or, like, the other thing I guess uh, I'd ask Ivy League here is, like, did they give you a car stipend? Mm, yeah. Because I feel like maybe... If they let people just spend money, maybe you've got a lawyer that would come to work in a fucking Tercel just because they're one of those, you know, that they're, they're a compulsive money saver. Uh-huh. And you don't want that. Whereas if you give someone a 60000 car stipend that they have to spend on cars, then they're going to show up in a goddamn Mercedes and not embarrass you. Yeah. Because I mean, that's yeah. what all this Co- Coco Bolo shit is. It's all about look at how fucking wealthy we are. Yeah. Imagine how we got this wealth. Mm-hmm. You side with us, you're going to be with all this wealth and power. It's it's right. all just a, a, a projecting an image of power. Can we get a Coca Bola table in table in here? I don't think we for, can afford for the ones. next studio. Can we? Can <laughs> maybe I? Maybe a veneer. Can I get like maybe a veneer if you're a very good boy? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Like, can I cut out a, my section of the table here and uh, I could it? go to a high end wood shop and like steal their little square sample, like pry it off of the sample shelf and like glue it to the middle. Can I get my chair reupholstered with alligator skin? <laughs> What I mean, uh, do, are you wanting a, a chair stipend? Is yeah. Is that what you want? Yeah. Stipend? A thousand dollar chair stipend. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, he also talks about Jimmy's brilliant move with the police scene. He says, well, I thought Jimmy's police scene was cute. It was not realistic. In the real world, all pro bono must be approved by the law firm. There may be conflicts of interest with pro bono clients. That is, if Coca-Cola is your paying client and you decide to represent an indigent client who is suing Coca-Cola, well, you're probably going to be finding mm-hmm. another pro bono client. Usually yeah. your cl- paying client does not like the idea of you representing someone who's suing them, obviously. Yeah. And the law firm pays your malpractice insurance, so they need to know every client you represent. Otherwise, the insurance company may stop insuring you. I think that that was actually kind of a plain reading of Kim's outrage. Like, he says, oh, it's a pro bono thing. And she's like, bullshit, because of all these reasons. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that was on the screen, I thought. Like, um, if you go to jail because of your pro bono work, your law firm is going to not look kindly upon that. Right. And I I didn't think this was less pro bono than it was just, that's, I I'm going to do this thing outside of the yes. purview of anyone. I don't give a shit. Yeah, and that's what he's trying to tell you. That was him. Yeah, pro bono is like a... It's him making excuses for it. Yeah. But he doesn't, like, he knows it's wrong, and he's going to do it anyway. He doesn't care. Because yep. it's like, yep. and I do like her line of, like, you know, oh, I'll never get caught. It's like, you sound like every stupid criminal ever. She's right. Like, She's you right. You can't do that once or twice. How many times? Every time you do it, is it you have a fixed chance of getting caught. Every time you do it, that chance compounds. Yeah, that gets that gets me rethinking about this scene, too. Like, is there... 
is there any compassion in what Kim tells him? Like, look, we're oh, yeah. we're still gonna be friends. I like I like you too much to say you can't do this and and still have me as a friend. But just know that I don't approve of this. No, I mean, like I'm still gonna yes, be around. I just I, I don't know. I don't want to change you. I just want you to realize the severity of this. Well, now you got me thinking that she's really in trouble because I feel like that's yes, she's trying to be kind, but telling someone, well, I just don't want to hear about it, is the worst. That's that's that's, right. that's straight up enabling. It encourages them I mean, to continue doing the healthy it way to do it to be to set a, a boundary and say like, look. You know, we can be friends, we can be lovers, but if I'm going to be involved with you in your life in an intimate way, yeah. then I need you to behave this way because I don't hang around these kind of people. And right. if you're this kind of person, I'm not make. it's kind of like I'm not making a choice. I'm saying what my standards are and you can choose to, you know, you're not demanding they change. You're just saying. Yeah. And there, there's a lot of like selfishness on both sides of this. Yeah. Like want, want your pie and eat it too, I guess, sort of right, thing. Right. <laughs> want to smash your ass in a pie and eat it. Right. Right. Setting boundaries is weird because I feel like a lot of times people, when you do it, they get offended. Well, what's the difference between that and an ultimatum, right? It's it's sometimes tough to tell the difference. But, I mean, turn it around because uh-huh. the other person's demanding that you accept uh-huh. whatever extreme behavior. Absolutely. It's, 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 it's essentially the before is that you're calling you're calling their bluff on the ultimatum uh-huh. it's like okay you're giving me an ultimatum for how i have to be accept your bullshit behavior so now i'm i'm sealing the deal it's now full circle how does we anyone ever it. become friends with anyone else like <laughs> how do people interact in because any meaningful most people way? are good <laughs> That's I, true. do you feel That's like true. the majority of people are good i've never done well a, i've never done a chicago sunroof for a squat right. cobbler, so right. maybe hmm, yeah. yeah that's how people are friends like the majority <laughs> like you know the, the, the art of life is just eliminating the assholes from your life. There you go. Uh, Michael K. said, what are the chances we get a Chuck Clifford jam session this season? MTV Unplugged style and Albuquerque. I like it. Yeah, I mean, and I think Vince Gilligan has made some jokes about that himself on the Insider Podcast. Like, oh, look at these Spinal Tap guys. I wonder uh-huh. they're all playing instruments. Like, oh, wouldn't, like I wouldn't be surprised. And yet, how? How would Cliff and but here's, Chuck jam? here's the thing. Do you remember that Nar- Narcocorito thing that they did in Breaking Bad? Sure. What sense does that make? Like, let's open an episode with a Mexican music video about drugs and gangs. Like, Yeah, but in-universe, that's intended to be kind of like this quasi-meta commentary on the show. It's like almost a fourth-wall-breaking thing. Right. Whereas if... I get. I mean, I guess Chuck can just call up this other, you know, senior partner and be like, uh-huh. "Hey, we've haven't hung out since you know we golfed fifteen years ago. I, right. I heard you like playing guitar. Like, I, I guess, and then that's I, probably I, where I don't he wear fucks the over space Jimmy suit anymore. So, and that's how he fucks over Jimmy. He can just start just like, oh, Jimmy's such a great guy. That one time where he fucking shit in the guy's <laughs> sunroof. Bling, bling, bling. I mean, <laughs> he did what? Record yeah. scratch on the yeah. music track. Sure. Yeah, and uh, he's a registered sexual offender to this day in the state of Illinois. Bling, <laughs> bling, bling. You know, it's like dueling assholes. Uh, that I could see that. And then you bring Charles Baker back in the mix. Skinny Pete gets in there with he's, his he's piano. The ivories back there. Oh, it's going to be glorious. I, I just talked myself into it. Uh, Barry C. said, I think we're seeing the interesting twist in the Heisenberg-Walter White arc, where each episode would be asking, is he being Walt or Heisenberg in the scene? This looks like the start of a, is he being Jimmy or is he being Saul arc? We always saw Walter White as a pitiful loser in a bad situation, and Heisenberg was his nutty professor alter ego. 
Perhaps the man he wanted to be. He may have been evil, but he was very competent. Jimmy and Saul, however, are equally competent in their lawyer skills. A lesser show would have had Jimmy crumble when Chuck walked in and thus make it look like he could never be a real lawyer and instead Hmm. should be a criminal lawyer. However, this is not the case with Jimmy. I think it will ultimately make the transformation of Jimmy to Saul all the more tragic because it looks like Jimmy really does have it all. And these are choices he's making. I agree. In in full awareness. I yeah, agree. Tragic. Uh let's see here. Uh MCA says, Do you think anyone will be killed this season? I know that Gilligan, etc., do not want to make Saul into breaking bad too and run up the body count, but I do think the potential for mayhem exists. I'm thinking Daniel might get himself into deep with Nacho and his gang, who then have no choice but to snuff him, or conversely Daniel might actually realize who he's dealing with. Get himself a gun and do something stupid, like shoot Nacho or someone else. Then he'd call Mike in to do one of his trademark cleanup jobs. Yeah, that line, like, now our business is concluded. concluded. I don't think it is, man. I think you're going to see this guy, and he's going to be a bug in your hair for... Is he because he's... Ugh. Is it because of the essential paranoia of the criminal? Or is it because Daniel actually provokes him? That's a good question. How stupid is Daniel? Real stupid. I don't want to underestimate his stupidity. That's true. Nacho <laughs> did it, and he ended up having a pissed-off Jonathan Banks there. Right. Which, I gotta say... I, I could see Price dying. I could see Daniel getting a bullet. Could you see Kim dying? Not this season, but yes, eventually. <sighs> yeah, I'm trying to think. Kim dying... But see, if Kim dies because of Jimmy being mixed up in a criminal element, I think that turns him away from Saul. And based on my reading of the man now, of course, he could change. Right. Uh, new shit could come to light, as you've been wont to say. But I mean, unless it's Chuck's neuroses fueling some sort of plot that gets Kim mixed up and Jimmy realizes it and then he's got an even bigger grudge against Chuck. Maybe. I don't know. Hmm. I'm trying to think, like, what would be... Like, okay, what about this idea? Mm-hmm. What if Jimmy defends... Like, most of the criminals we've seen now are kind of hapless or whatever. What if there's, like, some kind of noble criminal he falls in? Like, he gets into criminal lawyer because he actually feels sorry for... Ah, that's that's dumb. That's kind of what he's been doing. Never mind. Okay. What, if, like, what how... if Hamlin dies? Hamlin dies. I don't... And Chuck is forced back into the business, and that, that creates, like... What if Chuck Direct loses inter- his mind and kills kills <laughs> Hamlin, and Jimmy has to defend his brilliant brother? Uh-huh. Like, you know... Uh, uh, oh, it's perfect. Like Begrudgingly Her- defend yeah. him. Richard Kimball style. He's the fugitive. Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, definitely, like you said, Nacho is a dangerous guy who works for a dangerous guy. Uh, what do you think of um, Seppenwall's theory, to put a pause on the feedback, that all this talk of Tuco is going to herald another appearance of Tuco. I could like, see that. Did you get you could you could get on the Tuco wagon? Yeah, yeah, I just don't want them to use him as a gimmick like they did I at think, the beginning. I don't think if they did it again, yeah. I I I got to think that Vince is aware of some of how that played. Um, you know, unless he just doesn't read his own press or and have functional eyeballs, but I think that yeah, like they were just that was kind of like training wheels, bumps mm-hmm. along the way. Sure. Not sure, got to make a got got to bring you know light a fire under the Breaking Bad guys' ass so they'll support yeah. us. And I think if they brought him back now, would be much more in keeping with having having that actually serve the story plot. I think so. Story I- plot. That's story a, plot. That's a, yeah. That's a that's, term of art. Yeah. 
You can see Vince Gilligan. All right, guys, what's our next story plot? Yeah, it's like, you know, t- in the yeah. writer's room. <laughs> Stephen Hawking talks about time space. Vince Gilligan talks about story plot. <laughs> Where's this going in the story plot? Uh, yeah, I, I think if they bring Tuco back, it would probably be better because they're not trying to push those same buttons. Uh, we had a couple of um, metronome as metaphor takes. Okay. And I picked one of them here. I deliberately decided not to go with that. And read it more as just a general uneasiness sure. in Chuck and not like a ticking time bomb or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I feel like it's much more like the telltale heart thing. It's a guilt. Mm-hmm. It's a sign of him feeling guilty about what he's done and unsettled. Okay. But Spencer H. has a um, illuminating take. Okay. I thought the cold open contained a very striking metaphor for Charles. Or sorry, Chuck. I don't know where the hell that came from. When he was playing piano, they framed a shot where the metronome clearly cast a shadow on the nose on one side, and then it lit when it swung onto the other side. Mm. Jimmy represents the solution to all of Chuck's problems. He was able to help him overcome his crippling mental issues and get him back to work, giving him a real purpose. Chuck's pride ruined the solution. Without Jimmy in his life, he's back avoiding the real world. The shadow from the metronome suggests Chuck's decision to cut his nose off to spite his face. If he apologizes and makes amends, Jimmy could forgive him and help get him back to his old self, which is the nose lit. If he continues to let his pride control him, he will alienate the only person who can help him and be stuck in this house forever. Nose and shadow. Is... Nose, shadow nose. I'm, you're starting to lose me, day man. Day man, day man, night man. His conversation uh-huh. with Howard set him up for the last chance to choose which way he will go. Personally, I think he doubles down on the betrayal and attempts to turn Kim and Jimmy's relationship against him into claiming her recommendation was a conflict of interest. What do you think about this okay, that's metaphoric slicing of the nose? Uh, I think he's slicing it a little too thin. I think he's he's trying to take a little uh, – read a little too far into the exact positioning of shadow and light uh, in this scene. Well, so, I mean, that That's depends. my personal opinion. That's just like my opinion, man. If, yeah, no, no. If you want to read into it – Like, there's two, there's two questions – is did Vince did, did Peter Gould and Vince Gilligan and Jennifer Hutchinson intend that to be suggested by okay the direct and then I guess the director I forget who directed this thing um, did they intend that to suggest this imagery that is a question that can be answered they might not answer it but it is definitely a question that's answered the other one is like I personally agree with the take that a creator doesn't have to intend symbolism for it to be there so. Mm-hmm. Just sure. the fact that you read it in there and make a logical argument for it um, has validity in critical analysis, I think. Okay. I don't I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Nope. Not going to. Sorry. Uh, I Terry, had... Terry McDonough is the director, by the way. Okay. Did a great I, job. I had some... Uh, I had some... Um, I had some follow-up I need for Doug L because I wanted to talk, or anybody else who wants to talk about it. Um, it's just essential, like, you know, Jimmy's big idea. Like, I... Even when it's explained to me by the, the the two lawyers who wrote in about it, it didn't like again. I just I, it didn't blow my socks off. Okay. So I like I get it. Like the the the, the one thing about him going and actually finding original records, yeah, is smart. But also that's also fairly obvious. Like why wait for discovery? Why not? Add, like it's the fact that old people. But like that is that an old? Like I've got I keep contracts. I've got my it, lease agreement. Right, it I've feels got like my a lot of insurance this. policies. I've got like any my like, the mortgages Electric I sign. Bills, like, sure. I keep that shit, and I'm not yeah. all that responsible. I don't balance my checkbook. Right, I don't have a system for it. It's all shoved into a drawer, you know, and a bunch of different folders and stuff. But if if someone said you got to find this for big legal payout settlement type stuff, I'd for sure have it. 
Yeah, it seems to me like Davis and Maine is lacking institutional knowledge. Or like, it's like, is, written by non-lawyers for non-lawyers, and exactly. they want to make sure you observe the fact that they're doing lawyery things and they're competent. Absolutely. And I'm just saying, is for me to believe that this was some revelation, revelationary idea is to say that Chuck is the first – or sorry, not Chuck. Jimmy is the first person to ever have it in this firm. Yeah. Because once you develop that tool, yeah. which I think this is most certainly a tool, going and looking at the records directly from – the uh, the plaintiffs here yeah. in this, that's just standard procedure if you can do it, right? Like, do we have a plaintiff who would plausibly have records that the defense sure. is is barring us from? Yes. Yes, then check them. Yeah. Like, that's just a thing you do after that. Yeah. So he's the first person in this firm to ever have this idea. Yeah, because also, it's also, it'd be nice to have the, the I imagine, the originals on the client side to see if they've been tampered with. Sure, that too. And I was like, well, this thing that was signed by you on this date is different than the other one that was signed by Edith Chisholm here, because what the hell is going yeah. on? I don't know. I did some uh, independent research on hearsay um, mm. and, like, attorney-client privilege, because I was trying to get to, like, you know, what can a lawyer do and say to the cops that would get him in trouble versus evidence? And, like, I just... Mm. I helped someone study for the bar exam, and I remember, like, the exceptions to hearsay, and there's, like, things like, you know, you know, and I just, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Mm. It does seem very arbitrary. Like, you know, if if you, if someone comes into court and says so-and-so left town or so-and-so said they were going to do this because of this reason, that's hearsay. But if you report that they said, you know, uh, oh, my God, I can't believe I hit that guy. Like, it's excited utterance. That's, like, makes it cool. But hmm. it's still a third – it's still a person testifying about so, – I mean, like, I guess – Right, yeah. Like, I don't – I mean, it just seems – I mean, the I, – there's a weird naivete to the law, and I always get that. Whenever I watch a documentary, like um, you know, uh, the one on uh, the, the Frost individual or Durst individual, I want to say Frost, and yeah, and Jinx. the one with the the making a murder and all that, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, everybody assumes that like, oh, you're going to be under oath and you're going to tell the truth, even though there's an art to exposing people as lie liars. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like there's not a. It seems like there's not a huge disincentive to, like, impeach yourself on the stand. <laughs> like, how many t- times do you I, hear I about people what going to punishment? jail for that? Sh- I know, but it's like I mean, perjury is, from what I know, a serious thing. But I don't know what the punishment is. It seems like people do it all the time for very little punishment. And also, like, huh. if you're the person that's trying to get keep yourself out of jail, there's no disincentive to perjure at all mm-hmm. because you're going to jail if you don't. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I said it's, I'm not ignorant. It just I, it always seems like it's everyone thinks that being on the stand, people are going to tell the truth. And well, the key to 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 properly perjuring is not to get caught. I guess. <laughs> I guess. No, the law the, the law is incredibly complicated. Yes. And, and to a layman, I think when you start peeling back layers, some of it doesn't make sense. But I'm sure there's layers beneath that layers where they've got controls and all this. Like at least that's what mm-hmm. I hope. Because otherwise, Jesus, what are we doing? <laughs> Uh, anything else we want to talk about? No, no, I'm good. All right. Uh, as always, send an email to bettercastsall at baldmove.com. And you can get on our forums and discuss uh, the latest episode on forums.baldmove.com. Yeah. And I, I, it's a great episode. Can't wait to see what they what they hit us with next. Going to hit us with uh, Amarillo. Mm. This is the name of the next one. So we'll be back uh, next episode Wednesday. Episode four is a sour. 
The, the, what? The, the episode four is going to be called Sour. No, it's Amaretto. Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> I made a fault. I was... I was building to like all the episodes are going to lead up to some kind of giant cocktail. <laughs> Thinking, is this like a country you song? You got a cobbler, cobbler Amaretto Sour. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And that's what Mike's going to have in his lunchbox. Yep. Uh, all right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next Wednesday. Until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. Bye.